Stories podcast. Welcome back to the show. I'm Hayden Lee. Taylor Zients. Surname pronunciation is based on Taylor telling me, me instantly forgetting, and then me searching through the annals of my fading memory. But I'm pretty confident. I told you I'd forget, man. Taylor Zients is a maritime historian, explorers club member, and shipwreck expert. This, I think, qualifies him as a legitimate contender for coolest opening to a biography ever. Taylor's been to the bottom of the ocean, literally, and back up again, thankfully, as well as taking part in ridiculous expeditions and generally being a real-life James Bond, he is also a writer of fiction, with two books out at the moment and one due soon, where he writes about a team of people with perhaps the most interesting lives, which I'm saying right here is undoubtedly based on his own life. Come on, man. You can find Taylor's books and work where he writes on the expeditions of others, as well as his own at expeditionwriter.com. And for now, let's dive into Taylor's story and our interview with Taylor Zients. Myself and, and some people in this deep sea shipwreck company that I was involved with had taken a trip out to Africa to secure a deal. And on the way back, we decided that what we were going to do is we were going to stop for a week in Kenya. And rather than going kind of the very traditional safari experience, what we did instead was we stayed in this little camp out in a very rural area in Maasai land. It had once been a camp where young warriors would come to train before they became adults. There weren't wells. Uh, there was no electricity besides a little bit of solar capability. And what I really liked most about it was that it was very much within village rural life meaning that nobody would talk to you unless they wanted to. And we got a chance to just basically walk around, see the, the herds of cows, walk out into the savanna and see the animals, the giraffes and elephants and all the antelope without having this kind of very resort-like experience. And as a result of this, there was a lot of downtime too. Uh, it had been a long time since I'd traveled by myself, or uh, rather not with my wife. Had a chance to really sit down, read a lot of books, a lot of chance to just think about what I wanted from the next few years of my life. And, and up until that point, it had been so much career focus and focus on other things and, and moving across the country a couple times that I'm not sure if I'd really taken the time to 
step back and think. But this was that opportunity. And every day at about three o'clock, this little boy would show up. And he would have a soccer ball with him. And he would point at me and the two of us would go and play soccer for about an hour or so. Uh, I was about four years old and just sitting there with him playing soccer uh, was a chance to really realize what I wanted out of the next few years of my life. And I realized one of the realizations was that I wanted to be a dad. Another thing that really occurred to me was I want to write. That in many ways came from, uh, we were in a Land Rover. I was sticking my head out of the sunroof and we were flying down this dirt road out in the savannah and seeing animals and it just wind in my hair. It was just the most incredible feeling. I just, I wanted to just capture that. I wanted to make my life about experiences like that and, and writing experiences like that. So between really deciding that I was going to get even more serious about writing and trying to get published and deciding, you know what, yes, I want to have this kind of experience playing soccer with the, with the little boy from the village as a father. I can trace back where my life is right now to, to having that period of, of reflection. My wife and I ended up having a, a baby a few years ago, my, my son, Sammy, who just turned 15 months old. And I can trace back that decision in many ways to this experience. Hey guys, Hayden here. Now, as you may or may not know, our very first novel is available now. Written by our amazing writer Nicole, Venus brings you the journey of a young woman who feels trapped in the same old town she grew up in and longs for something more. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? You can go check it out at backpackdigital.com. Anyway, I gotta shoot off. I'm halfway through making a flambe and I'm pretty sure I smell burning curtains. Thanks for listening. Back to the show. I think it's interesting that you say about the Triumph Bonneville, was it, that you said you had? Yes. Yeah. Did you do much traveling on that? Mostly local traveling. I was living in Virginia at the time near Washington, D.C., so within about five minutes outside my front door, I could pass through essentially three states, Virginia, Washington, D.C., by way of Georgetown, and then up into uh, Maryland. Nice. There's nice. phenomenal vineyards and farmlands and dirt roads. Uh, I was never a, a fast rider. I was a definitely fell into the ranks of the cruisers mm. on my little bike. And I would just so thoroughly enjoy just experiencing my own little neck of the woods. Nice. Is that, uh, is that where you're from originally? 
Not originally. Uh, from the uh, Pacific Northwest in the U.S. originally, a little little city called Spokane, Washington. But mm-hmm. uh, lived for a few years in Florida, lived for a few years in Arizona, then uh, Washington, D.C., and then finally we ended up uh, starting our family in, in Portland, Oregon. Nice. I keep hearing good things about Portland. And it's got me thinking when you were saying about how how nice it was where you were and you could go through three states. And it's this thing of, I can't remember who it was I was talking talking with about it, but it's this thing of appreciating where you are and where you where you live and you know where you grew up and things like that because often we think like oh i can't wait to get out here and the world is out there and wow mexico is so cool but <laughs> sometimes we neglect to think man the place i'm in if i just venture out it is amazing you know and, and places like that and i've heard so many good things about portland as well so many good things that was the reason that we moved out here it's we really felt that we could we wanted to start a family some of the international stuff was going to be out of reach for a little while depending on how we wanted to do that but we really wanted to live somewhere where we felt that there's a whole lifetime of adventures right outside of where we live somewhere that we could uh never run out of amazing things to do and, and portland for us really felt like that place Mm, yeah, that is an awesome way to choose a place, you know, to choose a place to live. Like I can just go out my door and I can find something. That is awesome. I love that. Now, when we first got in touch, you posed the question, have you ever talked to someone on the show who's traveled to the bottom of the ocean? And you know what? I don't believe I have. <laughs> That's a, a bit of a rare thing. So for the listeners, here's a snippet from your bio. Taylor's fascination with exploration began when he joined a Russian expedition to the deepest archaeological site on the planet, descending nearly three miles into the abyss of the Bermuda Triangle aboard a Soviet-era submersible. Come on, man. you got to leave some coolness for the rest of us. you got to leave some for the rest of us, man. That's ridiculous. Oh, I, I do really love that expedition. I love that story. I probably never would have even um, uh, met and married my wife if I hadn't told that story to her and her father the night that I met them both. No way. So travel stories yeah. do pay off. That's awesome. They do. They, they pay off with, uh, it's, you know, with the love of my life and uh, our first son who just turned 15 months old. No way. So like, were you just hanging out and then you're like, so I've got a bit of a story to tell you. And then after that, she's just like, we need to get married immediately. Or how did that, <laughs> how did that happen? <laughs> a little bit more, uh, more roundabout than that, um, of course, as, as all, you know, as all relationships are, but uh, there was a museum opening, and uh, my aunt and her stepmom were very good friends, and my family was there, and her family family was there, and we all got to, a chance to meet each other all at the same time. It was so old-fashioned, but um, I met Andrea, who became my wife, and, and we hit it off immediately, and um, yeah, pretty much that was that, but... Uh, it's uh, the tough part of it was I felt that I had to maybe win over her dad a little bit before I had a chance to really talk to her and uh, telling a few good travel stories felt like a, a good way to do that. Nice, nice. I love when travel stories pay off, man. See, <laughs> like you, you've made it happen. So this is what I'm always trying to do. I'm always like, hey, so this one time I was on the Ganges, you know, and that, that's how I start my sentences. But <laughs> it's never worked when someone's wanted to marry me after that. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> so... So that's not an opportunity, the the expedition. That's not an opportunity that kind of falls into your lap, you know. I'm, I've never had someone say, hey, man, join this Russian expedition to the bottom of the ocean. So how did you get involved with that expedition? How did that come about? 
So I'll definitely need to tell this, the short version of this story since there absolutely is a, a, a very long version. But the short version is that um, there was this mysterious sonar target that was found in the middle of the Bermuda Triangle uh, during an expedition to find something else entirely. There, there was an expedition to find a lost space capsule from the uh, from the 1960s. And they also found this uh, this target, which experts said it was uh, it was wooden and it was old. So how can you not check something like that out, right? Uh, so uh, a number of people put together an expedition. Uh, my father was among them. And, and one of the things that he was always a really big believer in was uh, taking my brother and I out to experience things and to explore things with them. He, he trusted us to, to to bring us along a lot more than I think that, you know, Maybe a lot of parents are willing to bring their kids along to to meet other adults and to do things like that. And uh, so we joined this. Uh, uh, we used this Russian ship with a couple of little mini submersibles on board. If you've ever seen the movie Titanic, that big ship in the very beginning, uh, it's all real. The little submersibles on board, it's all real. Mm, nice. And we took that and we dove that uh, on this target. It turned out to be a... Uh, coastal trading ship from maybe the early 1800s, and uh, it was 16,700 feet deep. So I had a chance to uh, actually get into one of the sub, uh, submersibles. My dad gave up his second seat uh, to uh, so that I could go down at the age of 19 and see the ship with my own eyes. It was it was incredible. It takes three hours to even reach the bottom of the ocean. No way. Man, that's ridiculous. Yeah. That is ridiculous. <laughs> like people talk about I've talked about this before on the show, but people talk about space as in like we we know very little about space and you go up imagine going up that much into space, you know, how how far you went down. What you'd find, probably not a lot, but in our oceans there's so much there. Even the stuff that we've left behind, you know, from the eighteen hundreds, like you were saying. There's so much down there. It is like a new world entirely. Entirely, man. In, Do you get that feeling? In too? every way. Yeah, every every time I looked out this little portal window, I knew that this is someone something that no other human being had ever seen before. It was, I mean, this is many years later at this point. It's still something that just blows me away to think about. Oh man! Now I've talked to I've talked to people before about this feeling on the show, that this feeling that I get and that others have talked about, where you're in a situation and you get this weird crystallizing feeling of how did I get here? How did like all these things come about and placed me in this very spot? Is this something that you felt when you're down there? Do you know the feeling I mean? I do. I know exactly the feeling you mean. It's, it's almost a, a realization of short of sorts. And in my experience, at least it really changed the trajectory of my life. How can you go to the bottom of the ocean and then come back out and then just kind of do any old thing or sleepwalk through life? Right. <laughs> it was something that really helped me understand and develop and focus my passions, which um, which ended up being writing. And uh, pretty much every book that I've worked on since then has in some way reflected that experience and, and the way that I felt at that moment. Yeah, man, that's such an that's such an interesting thing of how this experience 
makes you makes you not want to go into that you know the standard life the life that we're prescribed it makes you not want to do that and this happens a lot i see it a lot with travel just in general as well if someone goes out say for example i'm talking to this girl at the moment right she's not been traveling before but we've been talking she goes right i'm going to i'm going to head to thailand right and she's she's saying oh i don't know about this i don't know about this and i keep saying to her when you come back from this trip you will be different and these things that maybe you're worried about now you probably won't give them a second thought and these thoughts that you're thinking now won't correlate with the new you i really think there is that type of transformation when it comes to travel and when it comes to travel and transformation i can't imagine one bigger than being at the bottom of the ocean so you must have gone through a massive transformation in just that one from that one day of getting down there yeah changed my life it wasn't just that experience too it was the people that were along on this uh, on this trip as well uh, scientists, explorers, um, people who had really focused what they what they wanted to do and had done some incredible things. And, and to be exposed to people like that, it, it really made me realize how big the world truly is. Mm, interesting. Now, I want to go back a bit. So as a kid... I know you said you uh, you would go out with your dad, you and your brother, but did you know that years later you'd eventually find yourself in the depths of the ocean, you know, in the abyss, or did you have any inclination that this would be how your life would be turning out? You know, yes and no. I, I think that I have a new appreciation looking back now that I'm in my 30s. But at the time, I think that almost every child thinks that their upbringing is 100% normal and that whatever anybody else does is kind of their own thing. Uh, you know, there's, there's only kind of one normal and you're experiencing it. So I'm not sure that I really fully got how truly amazing and unusual some of these uh, experiences I, I got to have and people I got to meet really were, but it's nice to be able to look back at it with a new perspective. Mm, yeah. The, uh, the looking back and the, and the nostalgia. Nostalgia is something I find really, really interesting because I think a lot of the time, or at least for me, a lot of the time when I look back on stuff, the bad stuff that, that happened there either isn't there in my memory or has kind of morphed into good or funny. You do know what I mean? It's like the bad stuff is kind of washed away and you remember the good about situations a whole lot more. Did you find that? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I hiked uh, Machu Picchu, the uh, the Inca Trail, a few years ago, and I'm not sure if I ended up with some kind of altitude sickness or, or something. But what I do remember is that um, I could barely get more than three or four steps without coming as close as I was willing to get to passing out. <laughs> I lost something like 15 pounds in three days because I was hiking all day and not eating anything. Um, and <laughs> I mean, you can hear this now. I can barely even get through this story without just completely breaking down into laughter because it's so funny in retrospect, how totally miserable I was every step of the way. <laughs> exactly, man, you should be, you should bring that out as a uh, workout DVD, you know, lose 15 pounds in, in a week. Or something. Let, me, let me put it this way. It's not a good look. 
<laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, those rapid weight loss things, man. Like I, uh, I think I lost about the same, about fifteen, twenty pounds, because I got dengue fever in India. Same oh, thing, yeah. <laughs> lost all that weight, and it's like, man, I got back to uh, that's just when I was taking a flight back to to the UK, and I came off the uh, off the plane, and my my mom was crying, not because. She'd missed me, even though she had not because oh, I was finally home. But she was like, "Oh no, <laughs> you know." But, yeah, uh, when, when strangers are coming up to you and asking if you're okay, that's uh... <laughs> exactly, exactly. But but what well, do you remember? Sudden. Like, but like from that trip, from that uh, that expedition, from that hiking, that isn't kind of what you what you remember. I, I would imagine it would be you know getting to the top or what. What is your one memory? If you were to pick one memory from that, what would it be? I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. And here's why. Uh, now I know something about myself. I know that I can hike up at 14,000 feet, uh, for hours and hours a day without eating anything. And I can do that. I know that I have the ability to do that now. And I didn't know that about myself before. Mm. And it was such a clarifying experience. Um, and I really only truly remember the sense of, of awe and the sense of wonder with that place. And, and I don't, I do remember some of the hallucinations I was having at night too, but, <laughs> but mostly I just remember how absolutely incredible it all was. Oh man, that's awesome. It's kind of, it's one of those things of if something bad happens on the road, not only can you deal with it and get through it, but you will look back on it. You may not even remember the bad and that probably they will be very funny all these bad things yes. that happen which then brings on the question what is there to worry about about doing anything like as long as you stay alive and as long as nothing really terrible happens then what is there to worry about about doing anything <laughs> <laughs> do you know what i mean i think you're right I think, I think i still try to travel a little smarter than i did maybe when i was you know in my 20s um i've you can pick up an injury or something like that that may stick with you for a lot of years. And mm. I'm trying to avoid picking up any more. But, but beyond that, when it comes to things like, let's say, embarrassment, like getting a Jeep stuck in a river or something like that, a lot of that will fade over times. Over mm. time, I, I can say that from personal experience. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but the stories stay good forever. Nice. So how are you traveling smarter now in your 30s? Trying to just uh, maybe just do the bare minimum of thinking first before throwing myself into something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, just just taking an extra moment or two to, to make sure I'm making an okay decision. I mean, I, I think that it's, that's all it really is. I think that's that's pretty wise, you know. It's I mean, there is definitely something to be said about jumping in head first. But I think it's pretty wise to go just for that split second go, hold on, let me just like stand back a sec and uh is this am I going to lose my life? No, it's okay. Okay, let's do it. You know, I like that that split second of thought. That's a good idea, man. Yeah. Yeah, and it is it is okay to say no to things on occasion too. Mm, um, interesting. Interesting. <laughs> See, I think it is. I think it definitely is. But there's uh, a few times in my life where I've done the old uh, yes man thing, said yes to everything. And the things that I wanted, some things that I wanted to say no to, I eventually said yes to. And they were some of the best things in the world. But I think that's not mutually exclusive to being able to say no to things 
sometimes. Am I making sense here, or am I just? <laughs> you have, yeah, you absolutely are. It's um, it, you have to understand why you're saying yes or no to something, mm-hmm. right? If if you're saying yes just because you're getting kind of pushed along by a bunch of other people and you don't really want to do it, you know what? Maybe it's best to not do it. But if you're saying no because you have some kind of irrational fear of of, of an experience, it's it might be worth taking some time to break through that barrier. Try mm-hmm. something new. That is so well put, man. It's the idea behind the yes or the no, the why you're saying yes or the no. That is so well put, man. That's so well put. I love it. Now, I've seen you say somewhere that, I don't know where, say somewhere that expeditions capture the human imagination like no other pursuit. So I think it might be best to, in a way, define expeditions. So is it the act of going somewhere and doing something that involves both exploration and has a distinct goal? Or am I way off with that? I think you're absolutely right. Um, it's uh, traveling somewhere with, uh, with a goal to bring back some form of uh, something that you can share with others that advances um, our knowledge of something in some variety. I mean, that's an entirely general definition, I feel, but... Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I was just thinking about it. Like, if I head to the fridge for some coconut water, you know, I'm going somewhere, I'm exploring the fridge, and my goal is coconut water. So it's kind of an expedition, you know. But, you know, I like it is, it is kind of general. But I think, is it the goal bit that makes it different? You know, because you can have exploration, but that wouldn't really be an expedition. But surely it's the goal that, that makes it different. Does it always have to have a goal? I think it's more along the lines of it's a goal that doesn't just advance yourself, but advances others in some way as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So I interviewed a um, uh, a cave expert who is uh, currently mapping one of the world's largest caves. So he would probably be a caver regardless because that's his passion. But what makes what he does uh, an expedition is that he brings back scientific data and maps and things like that that really do advance our understanding of uh, what the deep the deep underground looks like. Mm. Yeah. Now you say that, that that's his passion and he would, he would do it anyway. So I want to ask you what your passion is, but I also want to preface that, preface that with the notion that passion, the word comes from suffering, something that you would suffer for, something that you will suffer for. That is what passion kind of is. So what I know, I I don't want to ask the the question, what is your passion? But if you were to put something to that, to that thing of what you would suffer for, what would it be? What am I willing to suffer to experience? Um, That's such a better way to say it. Why didn't I just say that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I really like this question because, um, I think that um, uh, writing is is certainly probably my most easily defined passion. But I believe that writing has to come from an experiential place. Like, for example, you'll have uh, you'll read maybe a fantasy novel and you have a character that is uh, in a full suit of armor and they're just slogging up and down mountains all day long. And for me, if I'm reading that, I might even stop reading because unless the author has some kind of appreciation for what goes into something, for instance, how heavy that would be and how hard an experience like that would be, um, then it's hard for me to stay engaged with the world. So with what I write, even though a lot of it's, it's very much, you know, pulp adventure and action and, and things like that, really try to use the people I've met and the experiences that I've had to give it a sense of depth 
and a sense of place, a sense that this exists in an actual world where consequences matter and, and, and things don't happen magically. Uh, and I think that, um, you know, to tie, kind of tie a bow on this, uh, the majority of those experiences which have gone into this have, have all been from, uh, from travel experience. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. So it's the, it's the kind of, not just the relatability, but the, the knowing that the author kind of knows what it's about in a way. I think it's the honesty for, I think, <laughs> if I'm, if I'm understanding correctly, I think it's the, the honesty behind it. I have the same thing with music. If I hear someone singing about something that, you know, say someone's got an album out and one of them, one of the songs is like, Oh, you broke up with me. And the next one is, Hey, we're together and it's great. It's like, where is the honesty? This is not real. You know, it's kind of having that, having that knowledge of the subject makes it more real in a way. Yeah. Authenticity, I, I firmly believe just simply cannot be faked. Yes, that is authenticity is the exact word I was trying to mumble my way through to then. So thank you for that. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Yeah, it's there's this uh, we were talking about Joe Rogan just before the recording of this and Guy Ritchie was just on his on his podcast and they were talking about storytelling and uh, in movies and in and in books and, and every story, actually. And Guy Ritchie was saying that every story has or begins with this element of the protagonist kind of becoming the real them like you becoming the real you and you accepting the real you in a way and he he uh, postulates that every story is actually to do with this and like the hero's journey and everything like that which i don't know it's well over my head you know <laughs> I'm, I'm not a writer but what do you think about that that they all have these origins in someone kind of realizing who they are really and following that path of who they are really. Does that make sense at all? It does. Ab absolutely. Um, it's the first, one of the first major steps in the hero's journey, uh, which, which I personally think is so compelling generation after generation after generation, because it reflects our own life experience and, and how we become ourselves. I think that, the, the first major part of it, which is picking up the mantle, deciding, yes, I'm going to go on this journey. Yes, I'm going to take on this challenge. It's only truly compelling in a narrative sense if, if the offer is refused first. Mm. You know, and I think that the reason why that's so compelling to us is because even if it's not an actual verbal, no, I don't want to do this, it represents to us our fears. It represents the reluctance that we have to overcome in order to take on something that could potentially be transformational. Mm, that is so interesting. And I know our listeners are listening to this now and thinking, man, that is some of them are thinking, man, that's me with travel. Like, you know, I'm scared about going. And I'm, I yeah. gotta, you know, it's that is so true, man. Yeah. It's getting over that initial hurdle whatever it may be whether it's money worries whether it's how am i going to do this logistically getting over that worry and doing it and we all know how those stories kind of tend to pan out they begin to realize who the real version of them is i, I think you're right and anything that i've done that i'm truly proud of it's it scared the crap out of me before i before i actually took it on mm, yes that is a soundbite right there. That is, yeah, perfect, man, perfect. And, I mean, at this show, we know the importance of storytelling, the way of portraying experience and pulling morals and understanding from these stories. So for you, you write fiction. So 
like I'm telling you, like you don't know. By the way, you write fiction. So for you, what <laughs> what drives you to write fiction instead of instead of oh, what's the other one? Not post fiction, non fiction. Of course, it's non fiction instead of non fiction. Yeah, well, I do a lot of both. To be honest, it's I, my books are of course fiction, but I also blog non fiction stories and interviews and and uh, things like that. I kind of consider myself a, a fiction author with a non fiction mentality because I'm, I'm a researcher and um, a historian and, and things like that. So for me, it's it's all an effort to capture an emotion. I can't really work on something until I found the soundtrack for it. You know, what what's the music that reflects the mood that I want to capture here? And I also I try to link it to experiences that I've had with other people. It's not about taking necessarily one specific travel experience and then fictionalizing it. It's more about trying to see what I can write that captures that same feeling of adventure or discovery or, um, in a lot of cases, what does that feel like and how can that be transformed into, into fiction? How can we go into this story with an expectation that it's going to turn out in a certain way? And then have that expectation be totally subverted and have a story that's totally unlike what we thought it was going to be like. I mean, anytime we go to visit somewhere, I believe that we, in the back of our mind, we pretty much think that we know what it's going to be like. And what makes it so incredible is that it's not. Right? Absolutely. You know, let's say that you go to Iceland or something like that. You've seen some photos of it and you're probably going to have a pretty good idea in, in the back of your mind what you think it's going to be like. But then when you're actually there, it's just totally different. And that's that's the mentality I really try to bring into my novels. Oh, man. So right. So right. So many things that I, I want to say now, you know. But like, so firstly, firstly, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I've said this on the podcast before, but for me, Brazil, I had an idea of Brazil in my mind. And it, for me, that was Brazil. And I, I always thought, I'm going to love Brazil. And then I got there and it was totally different, but still that good. You know, it was totally different, but it was still as good as it was in my mind, even though it was completely different. And so for you, did you have a vision of the bottom of the ocean before you got there? And was it the same? Oh, it was. It was um I mean, I had an idea of what it looked like, right? Uh, there's some really wonderful coffee table books and, and um, sites and news stories about what it looks like down there. But what it looks like versus what it feels like are, are so different from one another. Yes, man. Yes, you're so right. You're so right there, man. And you know what? Our, uh, our writer, Nicole, she writes fiction as well. And I know that she's she does the notes for the show as well. So she is going to love listening to this episode. I know it. I just know it. It's going to be great, oh, that's man. wonderful. So right now you have your debut novel out, right? The Wrecking Crew. I've got a couple out at this point. I did uh, think you did. Yeah. Crew is the first one, and uh, Red Sun Rogue is the recent released uh, sequel to that. Nice. And a third under contract too, which is uh, which is a new thing. So, ah, yes, it's, killing it. It's been an exciting few weeks here. Well, <laughs> I'll put it that way. Nice, nice. Now, I know I'm about to ask a question that I'm sure you're tired of answering, but I imagine the Wrecking Crew is neither is about neither. The band of musicians that recorded the Beach Boys' pet sounds, they were called the Wrecking Crew, or Dr. Dre's group before NWA, the world, <laughs> world-class world Wrecking Crew. So 
what is it about? <laughs> that was a long way around. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's about a deep sea. Uh, it's about a deep sea salvage diver who ends up freed from prison in order to lead a very dangerous expedition into the pirate-infested waters off of Somalia in order to find the body of a lost research scientist. But very quickly things change, and they realize that uh, not only is she not dead, but their expedition is attacked. And what he has to do is he has to put together a crew of a really, a really unusual cast of characters in order to basically fight back against this larger menace, which, the, um, which is uh, affecting the entire region. Beautiful, beautiful. And I'm listening to this thinking or knowing that you start with the emotion, you start with the soundtrack and the emotion, and then you bring in the authenticity. You can tell where it comes from your background and your history and your experiences and putting that all together with the twists in as well. I can see what I can see is that I want to read that. So the second one, what was the second one called again? Uh, Red Sun Rogue. Red Sun Rogue. That is an awesome title. What is that about, man? It picks up right after the first one lets off. Oh, it's a sequel. It's, it's a sequel. It's a direct sequel. And uh, now the crew basically gets um, uh, blackmailed. They're caught while trying to smuggle refugees out of North Korea. And they're blackmailed into investigating this uh, uh, mysterious uh, event that's been occurring in the area. And then they end up basically caught between both sides of this um, of this larger conflict with Roots and the secret weapons programs of world war ii <laughs> way man i can just imagine i can just imagine your wife back in the day listen to that first story and then hearing all you've got to say and thinking man this is the most interesting guy in the world i need to marry this guy no way <laughs> that's awesome man <laughs> oh i love no, it she's, she's, she's the one that you know keeps me grounded every step of the way plus she's heard every one of my stories so many times <laughs> i can't even believe she tolerates them anymore <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean, man. I know what you mean. And the we should get to the third one as well. The third one is not out yet, right? Third one's coming out uh, early 2018. This one is a standalone one. It's not a, a sequel to the first two. Mm-hmm. It's about a young, a young Georgetown history, history professor that gets kind of mysteriously summoned to this expedition uh, out of um, uh, Tanzania. And... Uh, he realizes that, that what this expedition is going to do is it's going to go into the deepest cave system in Africa because the explorer that he based his uh, his studies on disappeared there a hundred years ago. And then they realize pretty quickly that once they're underground that they're going to have to solve the mystery of what happened to this lost explorer if their own expedition is going to make it back out of this cave again. Oh, man. I love it because, like, no one... No one can write this. This sounds like an obvious thing to say. No one can write the same book that you can or that I can or that someone else can. And it's a it's a composition based on your experiences and based on how you see the world in a way and how you view things. And I think if you bring in how you you yourself view things and how how your experiences have been in your life and put it all together, these sound like fascinating books, man. They really do. They really are. They really are a lot of fun. Um, yeah, it's it's all of them are 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 deeply personal in their own way. It's it's um, my whole kind of you know mission for this is is I don't want to just write kind of what's already out there. I really want to create something that has a sense of 
depth to it and breadth and, and something that feels really alive. I mean, whether I hit the mark or not, it's probably going to be up to the individual reader, but hmm. I wouldn't sit down and work on these things if, if that wasn't my, if that wasn't my goal. Mm, absolutely, man. And we'll get to where people can get these books just, just after I ask you, do you have, because you've said some fantastic things and some quotable phrases here today, do you have anything to leave our listeners with any pearls of wisdom? You know, if you're going to do something like travel somewhere exotic or, or write a book or something like that, I think that you really have to ask yourself why you're doing this. I think that if you want to be the person that stands up in front of a group of people to tell you about your experience or, or be the, the expert or the lecturer or the or somebody like that, then you're kind of missing what makes it so special. Approaching these things with, you know, an open heart, a lack of cynicism and um, and as, as little ego as you can bring to the equation is going to really allow for some special experiences. Um, I, I think that it's not worth, you know, write a book because you want to write a book, not because you want to talk about it later. Uh, travel somewhere because you want to travel there and experience that, not because you want to tell your friends or post it on Instagram or, or something like that. Just really be, be there. Yes, man. Absolutely perfect. Brings in authenticity, brings in how you want to live your life, brings in being true to yourself, which is what Guy Ritchie, I think, was talking about all along. Man, awesome. Awesome. Where can we send people to go check out these books and where can we send people to check out you, actually, man? One of the easiest ways to uh, check me out is you can go to expeditionwriter.com. Uh, no spaces or dashes or anything. Uh, you can also look up The Wrecking Crew or Red Sun Rogue on Amazon, and it's going to be the book written by the person with the strange Polish last name that starts with Z. <laughs> nice, nice. Have you noticed that I haven't said your last name through this entire interview? Yeah, just... <laughs> you, you did. You even told me how to say it, and I just instantly forgot. Just instantly forgot. The, the funny thing is, is um, anytime I meet somebody from Poland... Uh, they seem to at some point correct my pronunciation of my own last name. So, <laughs> so it's hard to hard to hold anything against anybody when apparently I'm, I've been doing it wrong myself. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to someone that I think is one of the most interesting people I've ever talked to. So, man, thank you very much for coming on. Oh, thanks so much, Hayden. This was, uh, this was such a pleasure. <laughs> no worries. by subscribing to Travel Stories Podcast.